You're listening to the Missionary Perspective Podcast with veteran missionaries Eric Johnson and Joshua Mead. We're glad you could join us. We trust this podcast will be both a blessing and a challenge as we relate topics in world evangelism from a missionary perspective. Now, here's Josh and Eric. Welcome to the Missionary Perspective Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Johnson, live and in the flesh today from Iglesia Bautista La Verdad, Truth Baptist Church. And I have the great privilege today to have my dear friend, Lonnie Earl Hammonds with us. Thanks for being with us today, Lonnie. Thank you. It's a blessing to be here. It's great uh, to have this opportunity to sit down face-to-face instead of over computers with someone. And so today we're going to have Lonnie. And I've known Lonnie for, uh, I was just calculating this, Lonnie, about five years we've met each other for the first time. And Lonnie is a missionary here in the Dominican Republic in Santiago, which is about an hour from where we're sitting here right now. And, you know, Josh and I in our podcast lately, we're going over some different issues uh, concerning the family and missions, balancing lives. Uh, Josh's got a few interviews coming up. We're going to talk more about maybe transitions in life. But right now, tonight, today, we want to talk about second-generation missionaries. And so one of the first people that came to my mind is someone who grew up in the mission field, who is now a missionary, who is my dear friend, Lonnie. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about Lonnie's life when he was a kid growing up on the mission field and how God used that in his life to prepare him to be a missionary again one day. Now, before we start talking about Lonnie's life as a kid, as a missionary, and uh, how the Lord called him, let's kind of just find out a little bit about Lonnie, where he is, and his family right now. So, Lonnie, you're in Santiago. Tell us and the listeners a little bit about the ministry you oversee there in Santiago, what's going on. There's lots of parts to it, so take time to tell us about that, and uh, what the status of the ministry is right now. Thank you, Eric, and uh, I just want to say a huge thank you to start off that you've invited me to be here. And I remember when you said you were gonna launch this podcast, and I listen, and I continue to listen to you and Josh. He's the one. (laughs) Yeah, fantastic job, very encouraging. And the perspectives is a unique market that missionaries like myself and all over the world need to hear. So I wanna say a huge thank you for number one, inviting me, And number two, thank you for having this podcast. I believe this platform will help a ton of missionaries uh, with contacts and information that they would not get otherwise. And so with that being said, uh, my family and I, we are based in Santiago, Dominican Republic, and we've been here for boots on the ground six and a half years. And God has allowed us to start one Spanish church, one Haitian church, one child development center, and one campus of Seminary Leadership Institute for Spanish speakers. And we have four locations training Haitian uh, leaders in the seminary located well, two of the locations are in Santiago and mm-hmm. two are in Monte Cristi, right. two hours north of here. So other than that, we're not doing anything. <laughs> so anyway, but uh, yeah, that's the ministry that uh, we're involved with here in the Dominican. Amen. And I've had the privilege of being up and visiting Lonnie's church and ministry at various times. And uh, pre-COVID, they were really uh, had amazing work going with the Children Development Center. I know that COVID kind of put a little hamper and then now they're trying to get back into the flow of things. But it's really neat. It's hard to understand sometimes how even in one country, uh, listeners, that 
you can see such a different dynamic in economics and, and strata, things like that. And where Lonnie and his church members are serving is a very difficult area. But it's been amazing to see how the Lord has allowed them to, in that little corner, just build and reach people and families. And not just from the Dominican side, but from the Haitian side. So it's always exciting for us uh, for us to go and preach and help out. And uh, I know Ari, one of our true preacher boys, has been up there. And so it's always exciting to see how things are going. And not just, uh, he mentioned boots on the ground, but... Also to see the development of leadership that's going. And, and I'll say this, Brother Lonnie's not only trying to raise those who are connected to his ministry, but really offers it to whoever can come, uh, like-minded Baptists and preachers who come in and are learning the Word of God. And so it's really exciting to see how the Lord is working in a very large way in that ministry, as well as up in the, in the mountains of Monte Cristi. Um, but before we even talk more about missions, let's rewind a little bit, because the reason we have Lonnie here today is Lonnie is going to talk about his life, really how the Lord in amazing ways at a young age allowed him to go to the mission field with his parents and see firsthand various mission fields and to get a really good taste for what it means to serve the Lord and then the Lord to, to develop him. So let's kind of start, um, Lonnie, at the beginning, how did you come to know the Lord and when did your parents go to the mission field? Well, um, my dad got saved um, when he was young and in the, um, actually just a young man, and then eventually through a series of events, we ended up in Ocala, Florida, mm -hmm. serving at Central Baptist Church. Mm -hmm. And while we were there, God began to open the door for my dad to step into missions. Wow. At this time, he was a teacher in the Christian Academy. He was serving in the church and the school. And a missionary had come to the church and began speaking to him, and he answered the call to missions. Wow. At that time, we relocated to Chattanooga, Tennessee, and my dad enrolled at Tennessee Temple mm -hmm. University mm -hmm. to begin working on a Bible degree. Wow. He had already obtained a business administration degree from a secular university, and so now he was obtaining that. And therefore, we began him working at the college. Uh, he was actually teaching at the college and a student as well wow. at the same time. And from that, we launched our deputation and fundraising. And those were my first memories mm -hmm. of when I was eight years old. Wow. And we began raising our support, going church to church, and this would have been in 1976, wow. just to give you a perspective. <laughs> He's very young. Um, that things were different yes. back then than they are. In some respects, they were easier mm -hmm. on missionaries raising support. Um, now, current missionaries may argue that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure there was as many missionaries back in those days. Makes sense. So booking meetings were probably a little easier than mm -hmm. today. But nonetheless, it still took an act of faith, and we did one year of support raising and deputation, and then moved to Japan. Okay. And I was actually eight years old, and in the third grade, when we relocated uh, to a city called Akashi, Japan, and we began working in that ministry that was already established there. Wow. It's, uh, it's neat because I've met Lonnie's dad a few times, and it's very easy to see where Lonnie has gotten his energy and enthusiasm from his father, who uh, now is uh, obviously uh, 
probably in his 70s right now. And when he comes and, and often will help out Lonnie and just encourage him here on the mission field, it's very exciting to see his enthusiasm, seeing his son on the mission field. And so I'm glad to have met him as well. All right, so uh, Lonnie, you're about eight, 10 years old or so when you're getting ready to get to Japan. And what were some of your first impressions as a young person living in a different culture? And this probably would have been early 80s, late 70s. Uh, that's pre-internet. So uh, tell us what life what not only was like back then in the Stone Ages, but uh, yeah. what it was like to live in Japan as a young child learning a new culture. Right. So 1976, we step off the plane. Wow. The missionaries meet us at the airport after the long flight. Mm. And it was in the evening and the culture shock began. Wow. And we were so welcomed by the other family, though. Mm -hmm. That's what made our transition amazing. And this other family allowed us to stay in their home until our housing was ready. Wow. We were able to share meals with them, fellowship with them. Looking back on that now, that foundation was one of the reasons why we were able to transition through the cultural wow. integration that we went through, that every missionary goes through, mm -hmm. no matter where you go. And the first memories I have of when we went to communities away from where other American missionaries were, once again before internet and so forth, is the Japanese term for foreigner is gaijin, mm -hmm. gaijin. And at that time, in fact, thinking of your sons, Tyler and Zach, um, Reminds me of my brother and I. Mm -hmm. And I had blonde hair, actually had hair, and it was actually blonde, like your boys. And even though your boys really aren't blonde, they stand out. Yeah, yeah. You know what I they mean? They do, they do. And I'll never forget walking the streets of the community that we were eventually serving in, away from other American missionaries. Those Japanese had never seen an American in person. Wow. Travel was not, we weren't a global community like we are today. Sure. And they would cover their hand, they would point, <laughs> and they would say the word gaijin. Wow. And I'll never forget going to get a haircut from a Japanese barber. And Japanese barbers are a skill. It's not just in and out. It's an experience. Hmm. And they were always amazed because they'd never cut blonde hair before and so I remember somebody picking some up and keeping it up like I don't need it and so boy I wished I had some of that hair now but anyway um, so it was part of that thing of being a celebrity and you didn't even know you were so that was part of my memories in the transition of going into Japanese ministry that's pretty special it, it is interesting to see how uh, people react to young children you know, adults are different, but they see little American kids, how that is. A, yes. It's very interesting. Well, okay, so with that in mind, um, maybe specifically talking about your parents, did, now you're as a missionary looking back, do you see maybe some steps that your parents took? It sounds like you got to live kind of a, a normal life, weren't maybe in a bubble so much. Uh, practical steps they did to make you feel part of the ministry or the culture and, and to eventually cultivate your own desire to serve the Lord. Well, from a integration of just normal, you know, life, uh, my brother, who's two years older than me, was very passionate about martial arts, mm. and we were living in Japan. Oh, wow. And so my brother talked my dad 
into letting us take karate class. Days of Bruce Lee. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. Uh -huh. He was a national hero. Yeah, I bet. Okay, even in Japan. Yeah. Even though Bruce Lee yeah, is Chinese. Right. And that's exactly right. <laughs> and we were able to take karate class. It was three times a week. It was in the evenings. You had to be super dedicated. But I remember we're the only Americans for thousands of miles. <laughs> and we were integrating into the culture. And after we began class, we weren't looked at as gaijins, foreigners anymore. We just integrated. Mm. And we really enjoyed our time. You would have thought we would have played baseball because Japan is so mm -hmm. heavy in baseball, but that door never opened mm -hmm. for us to play. But karate did. Yeah. Now, years later, we joined a little baseball yeah, team. Yeah. I was terrible at baseball, so I was thankful that that <laughs> didn't last very long. And so we were able to integrate into the culture through activities like that. Then as far as how did my parents get us involved into the ministry, it's like every missionary family. It's the family business. Mm -hmm. We're all in. Mm -hmm. And so... When we taught English mm -hmm. to the adults, I was teaching English as a 10-year-old boy mm -hmm. to a group of other kids and didn't even know what I was doing. <laughs> My dad gave me a lesson, a book, said, here, teach this to these kids. <laughs> Little did I know, years later, I would become a teacher. Yeah. And now, even though I'm a pastor, a church planter, and an overseer, at, in my heart, I'm a teacher. Mm -hmm. And so those type of things integrated us into the culture, but also the ministry as well. So um, how did my parents grow passion into me to become a, a missionary? Being involved. Yeah. That's how it was. Well, it's obvious that the time I've spent with your dad and you together, I mean, you have a very close relationship, and I'm sure that's just been this, the case over the years. And so I'm sure just having a connection and you know, not putting the kids to the side, being involved in the ministry, uh, that just seems like a, a key part. I've seen a lot of missionaries, unfortunately, that sometimes they, they divide it, you know, and uh, it's a balancing act. And so it seems like your family, you, like you said, you were all in together. And, and so let me ask you this. So when you returned on furloughs over the years and eventually college, how did you do adjusting back to American culture, not just American culture, to think of, you know, 1976 to mid-80s, late-80s when you would have been going to college and, and high school ages? You know, are there things you look back now and see, wow, that was quite a, a return culture shock in my life? I believe children are resilient mm -hmm. and more flexible than adults. True. My brother and I... We didn't suffer from reverse culture shock. Mm -hmm. When we returned for furlough, there was a period of time when I was in fifth grade that my dad enrolled us in a Christian mm -hmm. school. My brother was in seventh and I was in fifth grade. And we integrated very nicely. Um, and we didn't have any issues. In fact, because of the need for fundraising, we actually had to withdraw in the spring semester of the school. And we had so integrated into that Christian school, we didn't want to leave. No, I bet. I bet. But we had to go back to homeschooling. Yeah. 
and go back on the road, live in a camper, and raise the rest of our support. But we always made the best of the experience. There were certain mission houses mm -hmm. back in those days, they were called profit chambers, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. old, old yes. uh, terminology. Yes. And there were certain locations, like in the state of North Carolina, where we would base out of that one, it's an apartment in the fellowship right. hall. But man, we had life there. Mm -hmm. We did life there. And so we were so flexible. My brother and I never looked back, even to this day, as we're old, we don't look back and say we regret any of our experiences. Sure. In fact, I believe those children, missionary kids, get to live in a different culture, are better suited in life mm -hmm. because of a different perspective. Yeah. I, I agree 100%, and we try to uh, emphasize that with our children and explain to them. There are maybe some things that they see back when they go to the States and see that they maybe miss out on, but there's so many other great advantages, learning other languages, cultures, uh, as you mentioned, you know, being 10 years old, teaching other people other languages, uh, that matures you at a quick rate, understanding how to travel abroad, uh, I think our daughter, we always joke about this, she lived in three different countries in one year. Her yeah. first her first year, she lived in yeah. three different countries. So, you know, that's that's something that I think uh, helps mature kids quicker. And uh, I think the parents who are intentional spend time, like your parents obviously were, really help in those adjustment, adjustments. So with that in mind, um, were there things that you saw or experienced on the mission field through different ministries that maybe as you... We're in college and considering the Lord's call into whatever kind of service that maybe gave you reason to pause or think. I don't want to say they were bad experiences, but when you saw maybe the other side and said, you know, I, I'm not so sure I'd want to go do that. Did you have any of those kinds of experiences? I actually did not. That's good. I had, as I'm older now and I reflect, I have a regret when my brother and I transitioned full-time back to the States, you talk about maturing? Yes. My dad allowed me to finish my 12th grade year of high school at Ocala Christian Academy mm -hmm. at our home church. Mm -hmm. And we were on furlough my 11th grade. So I was actually able to play American football oh. while I was there. And actually fell in love with the sport, fell in love with the Christian school. And that was a springboard for me to go to the college that I went to. And when we look back at those days, that transition was seamless. Mm -hmm. The regret I have is this. My parents transitioned from Japan to the Philippines. Mm -hmm. So I'm in Christian college. It's 1985, 86. Back in the 80s, it was still not a global society that right. we live in now. My parents were serving and living outside of Manila, Philippines. And I never went to go visit them while I was in college. Mm. When you play football in college, it's a full-time job. Mm -hmm. And I enjoyed my days. I was never really good. I was more on the scout team. <laughs> Um, I was more, you know, helping the first team be able to get successful. But I look back at that now and I'm like, why didn't I spend my summers in the Philippines? Mm -hmm. And it would be 26 years later mm -hmm. 
that I'm a Christian school teacher in Dallas, Texas, and I take a group of 22 students to the border town of Reynosa, Mexico. Mm. And I actually drove a yellow school bus <laughs> from that ministry we were serving in across the International Bridge. Mm -hmm. And that was my first mission trip since I had gone on a mission trip when I was 14 years old. We had gone to Manila, Philippines on right. a mission trip. Right. And God began to speak in my heart when I crossed into the culture and seeing ministry to the Mexican people on that border town, that's when God spoke to me. And one year later, a businessman invited me, all expense paid trip, to go to the Amazon jungle, hmm. live on a boat, sail the Amazon river for 10 days, and to be the pastor of the trip. Hmm. I've only had about three or four worship experiences where God's allowed me to be the preacher. And I spoke through a translator, Portuguese, mm -hmm. and that was step two. God said, you can do this. Mm -hmm. And then even five years after that, I finally went on a mission trip to the Dominican mm -hmm. Republic, sitting in the worship experience. That was step three, and God said, you could do this. Mm -hmm. And my years of being a missionary kid all came flooding back to me, and God began calling me. Because not every missionary kid, in fact, majority of missionary children are not called to missions. Right. They're called to other industry, other vocation, and there's nothing wrong with Absolutely. that. It's just in my heart, God always planted ministry in my mind. Now, my brother... He is a nurse anesthetist. He puts people to sleep for a living. I try not to do that when I preach. Uh, but he put, yeah, exactly. Um, and he has a high-profile job and takes care of his family well. I take care of my family by being a missionary after being a missionary kid. Yeah, that's exciting. And it's good to see. We don't have time now to go into the full story, but it's really neat. I believe... When your father was in the uh, was in Japan, is when he met a, a young man in the military who got saved. That man grew up, went to Bible college, became a missionary here some thirty years ago, I believe. It's thirty years ago this year. Uh, he's been here thirty years. His son is now a missionary here and doing a tremendous job. And so it's exciting to see how the Lord would just continue to work and multiply through people's obedience to the call and how that call for you was probably dormant in one sense, although you were serving in Christian school and as a pastor, right. and how the Lord had a specific timing for you. Now, as we kind of draw to a close, we're going to talk about how both experiences you've had, being a missionary kid growing up on the mission field and also being a missionary father. Now, when you went to the mission field here in the Dominican, your girls were basically young adults and adults transitioning to adulthood. Uh, but with that in mind, you have observed many missionaries. Lonnie loves missionaries. He's got a couple books on missions. He, he, he's, he's just Mr. Missions. He loves missions, every aspect. We, we talk missions. And so I know you've been observing more than just your experience, other people's experiences. And so this kind of last question is, through your experience and what you've seen in other people's lives, how would you encourage parents who are praying for their children, if it's the Lord's will, without putting pressure on them, how they can cultivate their heart while they have them in their home, 
to consider missions. I mean, I, I pray about that my own, my own self. I have my boys. They have a, a sensitive heart to ministry and serving. I know with their sensitive heart, if I were to push them, it probably wouldn't be very hard to push them towards missions. But I don't really want to do that. You know, no one pushed me to missions. God called me. How can you cultivate someone's heart in the home uh, to help them be sensitive to the Lord's call? That he is preparing them in this soil that they would consider it like they would consider being a doctor, a lawyer, or, or a preacher in the States. So I moved to Japan at eight years of age. My dad transitions from Japanese ministry mm -hmm. to military. Mm. He took over an existing congregation of nine people meeting outside of Yokota Air Force Base in Yokota, Japan, just south of Tokyo. There's only a few times in my life I've seen revival breakout. And that particular ministry experienced it. My dad began an English ministry. Well, the ministry was already there. There were already nine people there. There was the three families. Revitalization, it sounds exactly. like. And we saw military personnel get saved. Then we saw, oh, they're married to Koreans, the military men. Mm -hmm. Koreans. Filipinos, Japanese, all of those Asian countries mm -hmm. where they're serving our country, the U.S. And from that experience, one of the GIs who was married to a Filipino wife who happens to be the family that introduced my father to the other missionary you're referencing. Mm -hmm. And my dad led this GI, GI stands for a military man, mm -hmm. government issue. And he led him and his Filipino wife to the Lord. Then they introduced my father to this other GI and his Filipino wife. And so now all of them are serving faithfully, coming to church. And then Jenny Goldstein says, Pastor Hammonds, who's my father, we should go on a mission trip to Manila. Mm. And if there's anything that I challenge missionaries to do, go on a mission trip. Amen. That's right. Because think about it. How many times have you gone on a mission trip? Now, I know you personally have because you've been to Ecuador mm -hmm. and you've been uh, all over the world. But the typical missionary never goes on a mission trip where you're not in control. You take <laughs> your family. When I was an American pastor, our vacation was a mission trip to the Dominican oh, wow. year after year after year. And then I went on one too many mission trips and, <laughs> and said, stayed. hey, I like it. You yeah, stayed. I stayed. <laughs> so if missionary families want to encourage their children to be involved in missions, mm. send your kids, or better yet, take your kids on a mission trip. That's great. And that is what's changed my life because my mission experience to Manila, even though we were living in Japan, to Mexico, even though we were living in Dallas, okay, to the Amazon, even though I was living in the States, and then to the Dominican Republic, it changed my life. Mm. So I think the best experience is to go experience. I always say, you can't change the world sitting on the couch. That's right. And so that's what led me, when we were home on furlough, to write my book, How to Become a Missionary, Raising Your Hand to Boots on the Ground. Oh, and by the way, there's a cost to be paid. That's the second chapter in my book. 
There's a cost. My children have suffered the cost, paid it. There has been a little suffering because it's sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Even though they were 20 and 23 when we moved to the mission field, and they both started living with their grandparents. Mm -hmm. um, the younger one was in college, Morgan, and Megan had a full-time job. They were living with their grandparents, who happens to be Tammy's mom and dad, my wife's parents, and God supplied every step of the way. And so there is a price to be paid, but I think exposure mm -hmm. to what God is doing internationally. One of the things that I always came back with when I was pastoring in the States from my mission experiences is I would talk about, you know, we serve a really big God. And you Americans think God is right here in this little bitty auditorium or this little bitty county or state. When you travel internationally and you share the gospel internationally, you're like, wow, God is really big. Uh, it's exciting. It's funny that you mentioned that because just this last week or so, my wife and I are talking about this next year and one of the things we want to do as a family. And, and for years, we've been wanting to make this one trip. And uh, it's like the Lord told us just last week, no, it's the time to invest this money in this. They're old Amen. enough to understand. And so that's a really good encouragement to our heart because Amen. that's what we were going to be doing. So, uh, listener, I hope this has been helpful to you. Now, Lonnie is one of those guys, as you mentioned, even though he looks so young, he's kind <laughs> of a dinosaur when it comes to the social media. But I still know there's ways that if someone who's listening today would like to contact you, how can someone reach out and make a connection with you, Lonnie? Uh, we have a website. It's okay. called Hammond's Mission, singular, HammondsMission.org. Mm -hmm. And all of our information is on the, uh, on the web, so okay. you can reach out that way. We'll put that in the show notes, so if any of you have questions for Lonnie, I know he loves missions and missionaries, and he'd love to hear from you, and uh, he'll be a great resource uh, for just, you know, some questions you might have, really in any regards for missions. So I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, this has been a pleasure, something I've been looking forward to. Lonnie is a great yeah. encourager. Uh, whenever I feel bad, I just give Lonnie a call, <laughs> write him, and he gives me some encouraging words, so I know he'll be an encouragement to you, and thanks for stopping by today. Amen. Lord bless you. Thank you.